Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, I'd love to hear from them, so please reach out via Facebook or an email. I'd love to answer your questions. You can find my Facebook on the show notes or alternatively email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. Hope to hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we will be continuing our theme discussing sacred places and temples and in relation to the layout of a Western ceremonial temple and also some of the significance and symbolism of that. Usually, the the layout of temples within the Western mystery tradition certainly is it's designed to really represent the spiritual structure of the macrocosm in which we live. So man is obviously the microcosm and the temple is the macrocosm. So it's reflecting this idea of above and above is the same as below, etc. Usually it's in a four-sided or square room, um, but really on an inner level it's considered to be circular and coordinate in nature so this is corresponding to the way that we divide our consciousness and also um the the structure of creation in the in the world everything in the temple has a symbolic nature to it and as i said it's very much this as above so below and this is very well expressed by a really great magician called bill gray um, or william gray as he's often more commonly known when he said the following in his book Temple Magic. Wesoterics constructed patterns of consciousness for themselves in their temples, but in conformity with an arrangement of spiritual principles symbolised by the temple itself, combined with their ceremonial clothing. This was worked out as follows. Above their heads the crown and their headgear represented the acma of reason, and respect for the sovereign spirit. Below their feet, the floor and the footwear signified the spiritual standpoint on which their faith was based. The star on their breasts and the flame of the altar stood for the inspiring illumination of their ideology. The sword of the east called up their qualities of keenness, flexibility and good temper, plus every ability of attack called for to combat antagonists. The rod, staff of the south, showed their qualities of uprightness and directness, plus the need to probe every point with care before relying on it for support. The cup of the west contained their qualities of love and companionship for each other and the cause they served, while the shield of the north showed how they should defend each other to the death if need be with care and caution. Lastly, the cord they wore around their waists reminded them of how to tile this ideology around themselves in a centralised, middle-way manner. So the court system is designed to be a frame of reference that indicates when, where and how we establish contact with the cosmos. Um, so it's really like a kind of roadmap or an atlas where we can see how we go from A to B. With the aid of the court system, um, we can really map out the entire universe of consciousness uh, how it's created and this is also the consciousness of the temple itself so the temple as we've remembered before and as we discussed in previous episodes is very much considered as a living thing 
um, as per the phrase, the temple not made with hands nor the sound of a hammer. The majority of Western ceremonial temples, certainly in the, in the Western mystery tradition, are slightly sparse and you know don't usually have a huge amount of things in them because obviously you want, you want it to be relatively empty to focus the mind and get you into that sort of uh, meditative state. Um, often they'll have different colours in the four quarters and the floor and the ceiling. So obviously the ceiling represent the heavens, the floor representing the earth. And the centre usually marked by an altar with a lamp on it. Some traditions put the altar in the west, um, but uh, generally speaking it's normally in the centre and it would be a kind of layout of east, south, west and north with the, the altar in the centre with the central light upon it. The most important thing, um, obviously, with regards to temple work and this type of stuff is very much about the people that are within the temple and how they prepare themselves for that. So, obviously, you know, you can have a, a, all the bells and whistles and a very kind of advanced everything in your temple, but if, you're, if the people that are in there are not tuned into that and not doing any kind of meditative work then it just won't work and it's kind of very flat from that point of view. But the purpose of, of, of these temples, as we discussed in the previous episode, is very much through ritual, through, you know, prayer, through meditation. Um, the people within the temple become deconditioned to associate each of the symbols with a, a definite kind of quality or state and this is very vital in terms of giving that kind of balanced and harmonious condition of being so that um so it really kind of joins together all of these different aspects into into one amazing experience of the people that are in it they're often very much um tuned in to a particular thing as well so obviously if you work within the kabbalistic tradition you you potentially have a temple that be tuned into that and you might have you know, relevant symbols or imagery on the walls to to uh, highlight that affiliation. Obviously, if there's a different tradition, like for, for instance, Norse tradition or more kind of um, neo-pagan or you know, that type of thing, then your temple would look uh, different to that. Obviously, different seasons as well. So it might be that you do something in spring or summer or autumn or winter and, you know, different nature things as well. Um, what is as important, as we just said, though, is that when we go in there um you, you almost think of it as being like a living thing so it's not so much we go into the temple as we kind of assume it and it becomes part of us um it's part of a space outside of time in terms of the typical layout so let's just talk about some of the kind of key items and what they symbolize within the temple as we discussed the it's really a set arrangement or alignments that provide a practical plan for creating one's own cosmos and these alignments are symbolized through three components of cosmos as we perceive them in time space and events space is obviously symbolized by the ceiling design in heaven and and the floor is obviously depicting earth and this is very much connected with this kind of um, upright alignment. So when you go in there, you are you are almost like a pillar of uh, divinity that's connecting the earth 
with the heavens, particularly if you're doing work with the kind of middle pillar techniques and things like that within there. Um, time is also illustrated by the four walls depicting the seasons. They've obviously got the spring in the east, uh, the place of the rising sun, you've got summer in the south, which is the, the sun at midday, um, the place of Mikael. Um, autumn would be the west, and the north is traditionally the, 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 the dark and the winter. So um, sometimes you won't even have a light in the north because it's considered to be the place where there is no um no light uh, i prefer to view it um almost like the more the egyptian approach really where you have this concept of um the solar barge going through the underworld and that's kind of symbolic symbolized by the the darkness so that there is still light and the darkness is really kind of pregnant with the dawn that's i think a nice way of putting it um, so that's the sort of main layout. Obviously, in terms of the actual items in there, so you have the altar in the centre, which is the double cube in a, in a lot of Western mystery tradition. And yeah, double cube altar, it looks a little bit like a wooden cupboard, usually placed in the centre, um, or it can sometimes be placed in, into the east quarter as well. This really represents the plane of the... Uh, magician's operations and is attributed to Malkut on the Tree of Life, but also has connections with uh, Yesod because it's really representing that formative world through which the magician works. Occasionally, the double cube would also have um, animal horns on it as well, and altars have also been known to be called horned. That's to say they represent this debt that mankind owes to the animal kingdom, which is sometimes represented by tassels on the altar cloth. Um, William Gray talks quite interesting about this when he said the following I just wanted to quote in western practices the altar and its symbolism stands for the central principle of self-sacrifice correctly understood which is the focal point of our whole spiritual structure it signifies the priest king or Melchizedekian function of our magical initiates the animal sacrificed on such an inner altar is the lower side of our own natures and moreover it has to be a willing victim offering itself out of pure love alone such is the central concept around which ma western magical temples are built considered in one sense it is the holy grail idea in practice however interpreted it is certainly the essential meaning in our lives which holds all else together as a cosmos in common a temple without an altar would be no more than a museum. The altar is the pivot upon which everything turns as a dynamic relationship between divinity and humanity. And that's a quote from William Gray, his book, An Outlook on Our Inner Western Way, which is quite hard to get hold of, but um, if you can track it down, it's definitely worth reading, particularly what he discusses around temples, etc., as we said, some some altars were horned uh, to represent the debt we have to the animal kingdom and also the idea of the altar being a altar of sacrifice. They also would often have a looped cord which represented this universal tie of truth binding together um, and it also reminds us of the, the concept of sacrificial victims being tied to altars. So we now when we use that altar, we're now, you know, binding ourselves metaphorically to the same thing. 
There's a nice description of the function of the altar also in the Golden Dawn um, Zalator initiation rite, which I just wanted to quickly quote because I think it's definitely worth you guys hearing this. Before the veil of the Holy of Holies stood the altar of incense, of which this altar is an image. It was the form of a double cube, thus representing material form as a reflection and duplication of that which is spiritual. The sides of the altar, together with the top and bottom, consist of ten squares, thus symbolising the ten sephiroth upon which the basal one is Malkuth. The realisation of the rest upon the material plane, behind which are the others, concealed. For were this double cube raised in the air, immediately above your head, you would but see the single square forming the lowest side, the others from their position being concealed from you. Just so, behind the material universe, lies the concealed form of the majesty of God. And that's from the Zelator ritual. So that's the, the main themes of the altar. Um, other things and other symbols that you'll, you'll encounter in quite a lot of Western mystery tradition temples. Um, so you'd obviously have a lamp as well. Sometimes it would be a star. So often you'll have to see a star painted on the ceiling. Or you may more likely see a lamp on the actual altar itself. And this is really to signify the, the you know the spirit whose divine sparks we all are. As well as that internal light that guides us even when we cannot see it. So if you look at the tarot card of the hermit and he's holding the the lantern in the darkness and there's kind of snow, that's very kind of similar concept to this. Um, the tarot card of the hermit is also attributed to the Hebrew letter Yod, which is, you know, this kind of fire or spark. So you could say that this lamp is like this hidden Yod that's... Um, within us and it and it's and ideally it's not really ever meant to go out either so it's meant to be kind of this eternal flame that's continuously burning they're usually hanging or uh, sometimes placed in a blue bowl of water which represents the primal mother holding the child of the eon and it also represents our contact with the higher realms and on a deeper level it also represents and connects everyone who's in the room with that force as Dolores Ashcroft Novitsky said, it is at once a protection and a beacon on the inner levels that states where your adherence lies with the forces of light. The ever-burning lamp is also a symbol of this spiritual fire within himself and also Keta, so it represents the spinal column of man, at the top of which is flickering a little blue and red flame. And as the lamp of the ancients was fed and kept burning by the by the oil so we can say that we are kind of transmuting ourselves through um you know the, the spiritual work that we're performing through the great work through the magical work and literally we are slowly kind of burning away the dross and becoming kind of pure flame as manly p hall wrote know that the flame that burns within thee and lights thy way is the ever-burning lamp of the ancients. As their lamps were fed by the purest of oil, so thy spiritual flame must be fed by a life of purity and altruism. 
The star lamp is also represented by the layman, which is uh, a kind of badge that a magician would wear on his chest. And this kind of, again, signifies this kind of inner light that we hold within us. And it can also be represented by, you know, something that's relevant to your religions. It could be like a cross or a particular god or that type of thing. Um, other things to do with temple symbolism. So often in Western mystery tradition and Masonic tradition as well, you'll have a, a fl the floor, which is represented by a kind of checkered black and white floor mat. And... This is really designed to represent the stone in which we stand. Um, so it represents this kind of faith based on rock-solid principles, um, the idea that no house is stronger than its foundations, and also the concept of the the rough ashlar and the smooth ashlar. So um, in, the, in this concept, you get this idea that the ashlar is the block of stone, which is then chipped away, and you see the the smooth version of it so that's what the the black and white tiles are meant to represent this process from of transmutation from uh, an alchemical an alchemical process really where you are kind of converting um lead into gold from that perspective and yeah it's really designed to to show that both aspects are part of this divine plan so um the rough and the smooth are both essentially part of the same piece and all part of this cycle of its eternal cycle really that's that's connected with the divine so um you also have the pillars in the temple as well and these are normally a pair of cylindrical upright pillars one black one white usually between sort of seven to eight feet high and they're normally kind of in the eastern quarter although some temples would have them on every quarter if you've got you know really fancy they represent the alternate polarities of life between which individuals must become as a sort of mediating pillar uh, perfection so they're a constant reminder that we should always live and work to balance and harmonize ourselves between oppositional forces they also represent the great um, archetypal forces of form and force, male and female, positive and negative, spirit and matter, etc. And the gateway to the inner and higher levels. So this is the place where you stand in initiation. The black pillar of severity is headed by Bina, which is obviously the kind of beginnings of force, the archetypal mother on the Kabbalistic tree of life. And the, the white pillar is obviously Hokma, which is the pillar of force. And, <clears throat> yeah, as I said, they're basically really there to, to, to kind of act as this way of showing the different aspects of polarity between us. And we kind of pass through the pillars to, uh, to go to places. There's also normally banners and elemental lamps as well. Um, so obviously you'd have a different light in each of the quarters and they'd represent elemental directions and also an overriding banner which normally represent the kind of master symbol or the key of the lodge or the group and that's actually kind of like a symbol that can be used on the inner levels as well the quarter banners can be adapted depending on what tradition you're working so obviously if you're a greek you could have you know zeus and 
you know, etc. for different quarters, or if you're, you know, working more of a Roman um, tradition, etc. So you could change that. And obviously, the master banner would be very much re- very much related normally to the patron of the lodge and also the actual kind of power symbol that kind of connects it up with a particular egregore. Elemental lamps, normally small light lights, which represent the Carabic figures of Leo, Scorpio, Taurus and Aquarius. And yeah, and they just make it very kind of powerful and there's a very sort of, it's a very moving experience and all those lamps are lit. You can really feel the energy change. We're going to finish in a minute, but the, as I said, the most important thing to remember with all this stuff with temples is that, yes, we build the physical temple on the, on this plane, so we go out there, we build our altar made out of wood, we do, you know, all the magical tools, which we'll be discussing in a future episode, um, you know, the incense, etc. Um, but the, the the purpose of all of this work is we build the physical temple in order to create the inner one, and that a point is always reached where the physical is no longer needed. Due to space restrictions these days, you know, many people don't have the resources to have a, a huge kind of grand temple in a spare room. So you have to make do with what you can. So that could be you're using one of your child's bedrooms, etc. Or it could be that you are literally, you know, having to just use a little space with a couple of candles and some incense. Um, I think anyone can be really kind of spiritual and elevated if you're in like some really grand place that really kind of takes away your takes your breath away. But the challenge we face in our time now is you know how can we do that when we're not when we've got you know a hundred different things to do we've got pressure from work and you know you're having to operate in a very small space and that is where you can really stand out as being a, a very good magician you don't need to have a huge expensive temple and you know swords etc in order to do all this stuff you can just go out into nature, go into the woods if you need, you know, extra space. And that's really where the work of building the temple not made with hands comes into play. Through the use of, you know, the active imagination, path working, etc. So, yeah, that's what we've got time for today. Um, in our next episode, I'll be discussing a bit more on um, magical robes and ceremonial robes and also around the ring. So I hope you can join us for that. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Ocklandon Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If anyone has any questions for me, then please reach out via Facebook or an email, as I'd love to answer them. My email is ocklandonpodcast at gmail.com. We really want to develop this further, so we'd really appreciate if you rate the show or leave a review on iTunes or other platforms, as it will hopefully mean more people can see it. And also, please be sure to visit our website at ocklandon.co.uk. Catch you all soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Our mind, silver soul enshrined, celestial rhythms, starlight threading.